I just got off the phone with a longtime friend who's now a coaching client. It was the call I actually needed in order to finish this script. See, this beloved friend began the conversation with the nearly universal phrase, I feel like I'm always in the middle. Maybe you've said that. I know I have. And I get it. Although, I think at this point I disagree. See, I don't think he's in the middle, per se. I think he's trapped in a relationship with people who hold somewhat opposing perspectives, political, social, theological perspectives, and who hold those perspectives more tightly or more dearly than they hold the people around them. In other words, he's in a relationship with fundamentalists who hold differing opinions. People who are so sure that what they think is correct and are so sure that the things they think are important that they're willing to sacrifice relationship in order to hold on to their perspectives and ideas. That's the actual trauma and tragedy of fundamentalism. It strips people of their humanity and rends us from those we would otherwise love. I'm not allowed to be on a journey or in process. I must come to conclusions and have some form of certainty namely about things that the machinery I've aligned myself with has deemed most important. In 2008, I released a collection of songs entitled Deconstruction. The title was actually a remnant from my collegiate studies in philosophy, where I spent a bit of time around the work and the words of Jacques Derrida. At the time, postmodernism was the buzz phrase, particularly as it, it, some of its core tenets threatened the seemingly secure hold modernity had on daily life. See, in modernity, most Western white male-dominated cultures stood firmly on the assumption that some things were true, capital T true, and in their being capital T true, they were immovable. That assurance meant that building the, of institutions or the rules of life was safer. These things would last. What Derrida offered, though, was the suggestion that the language we used to communicate and understand those assurances upon which these things were built, the language itself was fraught with contradiction and complexity. That language didn't reliably point in the direction of a controlling and anchoring truth at all. Instead, words were bound together only by the tension and the connection found between themselves. There was and is no central reference point from which each individual word derives its meaning. More simply, if a word has meaning, it has meaning in relationship to the words around it. And that's the constant, language and the connection between words. Some critics read Derrida as just one more expression of relative truth. But Derrida was actually up to something pretty fundamentally different. He was suggesting that there was a constant, but that the constant was relationship itself, the relationship between words and between the people who use those words. For example, in a religious context, that capital T truth might be expressed in a phrase like, God is love. For Derrida, the wild differences between what I mean by God and what you mean by God suggest a lack of common experience, that there's no thing to be called God. What there is, though, is the connection between you and me. And in that case, meaning wasn't to be discovered in a common experience of whatever the word God meant. It was forged and fostered in the connection and the tension and in the relationship between you and I. Now, he called this deconstruction. And deconstruction, in Derrida-dian terms, is marked by these three distinctives. The first is this inherent desire to have a center around which meaning revolves, or in which meaning is rooted. The second is the reduction of that meaning to a set of definitions in language committed to writing. And the last thing is the way that that deduction of meaning to language captures opposition within the concept itself. 
the desire that there would be some sort of actual fundamental core meaning, and then the reduction of that meaning to language, and then the tension in the words we use to try to define that meaning. It's a little complex, but at the heart of his initial work was and is this frustration about that inherent desire, that first element. The inherent desire in human beings to place meaning at the center of existence. Derrida was frustrated that for many of us, that just to be alive meant that there must be meaning. He found this problematic and he sought to undo it. Derrida also saw problematic that philosophy was driven by that need to find a centering, grounding meaning at all. He bristled at the certainty with which philosophers sought to find meaning somewhere, believing that their certainty in some kind of absolute actually blinded them. Now, my religious training and my religious intuition counters that idea by suggesting that the desire in human hearts to live with and in meaning is actually a hunger, similar to the hunger for food, a thing to actually schedule one's days around rather than to learn to ignore for really any reason. The details, of course, are like negotiable, to say the least, but that nudge at the core of the human soul that says there's more, not just out there, but in you, that's real. It's part of what it means to be human. And this is why I find myself struggling with the use of the word deconstruction as a description for so much like socio-religious conversation recently. The way I hear it, I, I think we're mostly talking about reorganization and maturity and growing and discernment, all of which are not just fine. They're good. They're true. They're beautiful. And I guess I just wish that we would let good things be good sometimes. I mean, most of the institutional conversations I'm around feature a critique of systems that poorly reflect a central truth or reality that deserves better treatment, deserves better culture. For many, churches are problematic not because they're organized around a reality that is non-existent, but because their corporeal practices actually distract from the beauty and goodness of that reality. I mean, I love that, but that's not deconstruction. It's something I would suggest richer and harder and more communal, and more fluid, more human. It's the work of belonging to people. It's the practice of beloved community. See, I've long believed that one of the most corrosive aspects of fundamentalism is that it convinces us that ideas and definitions are more vital and more important than the people who hold them. In that light, fundamentalism also convinces us that change is a necessarily deconstructive process. Things either are true or false, black or white, real or not, in, out, biblical or sinful, sacred, secular, alive to the glory and service of God, or fit to be torn down and trampled. There's no movement, there's no nuance, there's no growth, no progress. There is no redemption. I've either got it right or I've got to go. The glaring feature in that fundamentalist mindset is fear, mostly fear, that the center won't hold if it's moved or challenged or not protected. And here's where I'd like to land this plane. See, I don't think that's actually what's at hand right now, collectively and culturally. I don't think despair at the absence of existential meaning is winning the day. I think instead that that nudge got a lot stronger for a lot more people. And a lot more people want to move whatever is in the way of getting more of that nudge. I think we are experiencing, seeing, bearing witness to a scandalously broad awakening. That this nudge and the fact that I sense it at all matters more than the words some paid professional uses to describe it, control it, and commodify it. What I'm seeing and hearing is the fervent and sometimes angry tearing away at whatever artifice is deemed in the way of a clear vision of what's most real. I'm hearing conviction 
and frustration that there is in fact a center, though it might not be static. And that there are fundamental truths, though they may be interpersonal in nature. But that all this garbage, gatekeeping culture is keeping people we love and like from experiencing the goodness available to them. So I don't mind the word deconstruction, but historically, Deconstruction is a very specific and highly individualized process by which one unearths the very core and center of their being and decides that if there is meaning in the world or in their life, it must be constructed and therefore held together by the sheer force of their own individual will. So if that's you, I get it. And that's real. And that can be terrifying and also really good. But if it's not, then consider that you might not be deconstructing just like my friend, isn't stuck in the middle. Instead, consider that you might be feeling an invitation. An invitation to a legitimate awakening to be shared by all kinds of people, people with whom you agree and disagree. An awakening angled towards and maybe even prompted by a goodness, truth, and a beauty worth tearing things down for. As well, as worth building things around. In the park near my house is a series of trails that intersect a small creek in a few spots, and in the winter, that creek rises and it's almost impossible to cross at one location. So a few years ago, someone built a bridge over that spot. They saw a problem and they created a solution in order to address it. Then a week or so later, someone else tore it down. And then in response, the original builder took some of the broken pieces from the first bridge and used them to assemble a new bridge, and I think that's actually how life works and moves forward. Which is why I wrote that story into my next book, entitled, It Is What You Make Of It. 15 stories that push back against the kind of it is what it is thinking that keeps us from entering into the world around us and living fully. The book comes out on June 1st. You can pre-order it now. I hope you do. <laughs>